Hello and welcome to the Broadcast Tech Talks podcast. My name is Jake Bickerton and I'm the Editorial Director of Broadcast Tech. The Broadcast Tech Talks podcast shines the spotlights on creative uses of technology in the broadcast industry. On today's Broadcast Tech Talks podcast is the full recording of a session from the recent AI Creative Summit at BFI Southbank, London. My name's John Cassie. I run a company called Factory 42. We are an immersive uh, technology and experience business, effectively making all forms of next generation content and experiences based just over the river at Somerset House. Uh, We've got a really great panel here today, and I'm going to dive straight in by basically asking them to briefly introduce themselves and also explain how you're using generative AI in your work um, and you know, effectively, why are you here? Why am I? Why am I? I th- we, we, it's going to go philosophical already. Uh, <laughs> hi, everyone. I'm Guy Gadney. I'm CEO and one of the co-founders of Charisma.ai, clues in the name. And uh, we're a technology platform that uh, is a two-sided coin. One is it's sort of like final draft for interactive storytelling. So if you want to write an interactive story, uh, those are quite complicated and we make it simple in the web. And then the other side of that coin is it's the engine that actually powers all of the logic, uh, the characters so that they speak to you. Um, if you're rude to them, they get angry. Uh, and if you're nice to them, they fall in love with you and that then changes the story. So that's, um, that's sort of what Charisma AI uh, does if you're interested in it. Uh, sign up, that's great, it's free. On the other hand, uh, while we're here, I think part of what we did was we started building this about six, seven years ago. And um, that means that we started to think a lot about writing processes and storytelling. And as a a sort of nutshell, the more we look forward into the future of storytelling and and all of the different potential that it has, the more actually we look back into into theatre and immersive theatre and um, even wandering troubadours in their stories. So while we're here really to to discuss a bit about what we see the impact um, of this new technology on the creative industries being. Great. Thanks, Guy. Um, Aline? Hi. Can, can I sit like this? Is that good? Or do I have to lean forward? Um, my name's Aline van der Velden. I run a company called Particle 6. We're a technology-first creative agency and broadcast production company and produce for the BBC, Sky, and other major broadcasters. And um, my background's in physics, and so I'm, I've been very interested in this whole AI development that's going on in our industry. And so I launched a show on YouTube, which you can follow on Particle 6 TV YouTube channel, where we find out whether we can build a hit TV show using AI, and we go through the tools and see whether we're out of a job yet. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Alex? Are are we? Can you just answer that one? (laughs) (laughs) Almost. Almost. Okay. (laughs) Not quite. Just leave that hanging in the room. Um, So uh, my name's Alex Fonievich. I'm director of content at Little Dot Studios. Um, Little Dot Studios, hopefully a number of you will be familiar with it. It's it's quite a sort of eclectic company. We're a sort of digital broadcaster and producer uh, content studio. The bit of Little Dot that I look after is what we call our network division. So it is effectively the bit of Little Dot that works for Little Dot. We run channels or we've set up channels that are kind of genre-based, history, science, uh, documentaries. We have about 50 of them that uh, exist uh, and they uh, broadcast on all of the uh, social digital platforms. So the likes of YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. Also, we have about nine fast channels now as well. So we're, we're very well covered in that space, but most of that content is uh, traditional television content that we license 
um, from distributors and producers. Um, so what I'm sort of here to talk about is uh, how we as a company are exploring generative AI to actually create new content, uh, which we've uh, focused to start with at least around uh, vertical video platforms. So that's TikTok, uh, YouTube Shorts, uh, and Insta and uh, Facebook Reels. Uh, and we've been uh, yeah, using a lot of different tools to experiment uh, and try and sort of test the, um, the technology, test the capability, uh, and ultimately hoping to, to kind of be able to expand that um, in the future to, to full length content as well. Great, thank you very much. So there's um, huge hype around this sector at the minute. There's, I think, a mixture of people feeling tantalized and slightly terrified by it. Um, can you talk a bit about where it is being used already in storytelling to, to kind of a really positive effect and how that may be impacting the creative process? And you may have kind of you know, examples from your own, your own sort of lives. So maybe, Guy, I'll start with you. Um, okay, so in, in brief, because it's, this is a huge topic, the first thing really is to set the scene on, on AI generally. So let's get terminology right. AI is the most enormous umbrella. Uh, it, it, and, and within that, there are various different sort of technology verticals. So applying AI in its broadest sense to, uh, to storytelling, um, you, you know, one has to dive down, uh, you know, areas which are, which are uh, uh, sometimes like rabbit holes. For us, I think there are, again, it's a two-sided coin. One is, it's, it, it's a way to uh, improve the workflow of what we do now. So all of us who are creating something or working in this space, it's the areas of um, making things happen faster, uh, being able to do things in that workflow, speeding up that workflow in one way, shape, or form. However, the other side that really interests me also is that in some ways it's gonna be the catalyst for a new medium and a new, uh, it's gonna enable new forms of storytelling to come out. So I think those, it's, it's those two sides that, that we see at the moment are anything from your initial co concepting, storyboarding, you know, through to video editing and comping through to, you know, um, swapping in and out avatars for, for, uh, for background actors, which I know is contentious. Um, through all of the other areas, but I mean, I'm, we're really interested in what new, what new forms uh, this can enable to go onto different platforms. And, and, and are you? Can you give any examples of new forms where? Because I suspect there's a lot of people here trying to just get their head around this stuff, and um, like examples of where it's been done really well in relation to storytelling. I mean, it's, it's very early stages. Uh, recent things we've done, we did with DreamWorks, we did a Puss in Boots uh, project, which was taking the animations that, that were from the movie and uh, allowing you know, kids to adopt a cat. And you chat to the cat, and if you're nice to it, then you know, it likes you and all of those things. A very lightweight story, really. Probably about a 15-minute experience, if I quantify it like that. Uh, up to we, uh, we decided to go all in and bought the rights to John Wyndham's book, The Crack and Wakes, and adapted that. You know, adapting a novel is so hard. Um, and that is a novel where you, you, you are speaking to the characters. So you're like shoulder to shoulder. Um, and that changes the storyline and the outcomes. Through to immersive theater productions, just around the corner in St. James's Park with uh, Swamp Motel. Um, they ran an immersive theatre production at St. James's Park two for six months that was powered by Charisma. So I, I think, again, that, that conversation, the ability to speak to characters in a, story, in a narrative context is key for me. Okay, okay, great, thank you. Um, Eileen, what are you seeing in terms of where these technologies are being used to really enhance the storytelling and the overall kind of consumer, viewer, participant experience? Yeah, we're using it everywhere. 
and my whole team has to use it every day. Um, I think it can improve if you're talking short form because obviously there's limitations with the, with the number of tokens, so you can't produce a long script quite yet in ChatGPT. But if you're making a short short form video scripts, it does a great job. Sometimes better than because we obviously will do it ourselves and then compare. Um, sometimes it's better. Um, in post production, we use it all the time. The deep fake stuff to you know if you have a social media clip, you know make sure that that they can speak in all languages that you want to put out in territory. You can make their mouth do it. Voice, I mean, um, you now just have to put an iPhone down. You don't need a sound recorder because, you know, you th throw it into Premiere and it literally sounds like you're in a booth, like voiceover is done. Um, it, there's just so many applications all over and um, especially in development when you're putting a deck together, when you're, what for me is a huge just freedom is if you have a creative idea, you can put it out there now for the first time so quickly. You don't need a, a storyboard artist and a concept artist and, and to explain the idea multiple times. You can just get it out there and tweak it. But it still needs our direction. It's still, you know, it's us. But yeah. it, it's just you're able to communicate it faster. Okay, so that's some brilliant observations and we'll come back to the impact on teams and the shape of teams because I'm sure that is going to be one of the very big things that people want to kind of hear about and, and, and know more about. But um, Alex? Yeah, so uh, I think um, before I, uh, when I was doing a bit of a sort of prep for the panel, I um, went back and, and did a bit of an audit of all of the different AI tools that we're using across Little Dot and we're using over 30 across the whole company. That's individual different tools from, you know, kind of stuff that is very, very behind the scenes to stuff that is very sort of front and centre, um, but I think it sort of just demonstrates the kind of the, the, the number of opportunities there are, and that includes like tools that we're using within our people team to kind of just make things more efficient there as well. So it can really be transformative. Um, the, the element that we've been using, I think, with most success has been uh, mid-journey, uh, which we've been using to generate um, imagery for our... Uh, we, we have a sort of a number of very successful history franchises. History here is probably the best well-known one. We also have absolute history as well. And um, one of the challenges with history is obviously uh, you've got a, a embarrassment of riches when it comes to the 20th century with sort of uh, pictures moving image. But once you're trying to tell stories from the past, you're kind of limited by uh, the fact that there weren't cameras around, obviously. And so, you know, there's a very limited pool of kind of existing material, paintings, um, etchings, drawings, etc. Um, so we have found that uh, particularly mid-journey has been transformative for us in being able to bring stories from the past to life and to bring them to life in, you know, comedic, but also, um, you know, kind of very serious, very profound ways. And the capabilities of those tools are that you can create a series of images that you can then animate across. You can have recurring characters, so you can have them as part of a series. We've got a really successful series called, uh, which is called Crime and Punishment, which is a short form series. They're 60 second clips, um, but they're a different sort of uh, take on the crimes and punishments that you would have through history. And um, all of the tools that we've used there um, have allowed us to kind of give that um, that series a real aesthetic and people are just coming back to it time and time again so there's six episodes cumulatively that's been seen 80 million times just on I think t uh, just on YouTube shorts alone so really really interesting tools um, and a real playground for experimentation and one where I think uh, you know 
you can start with a 60 second clip and do something quite capable from it um, but you can we're already thinking about the opportunities about telling full-length stories with this or, or telling segments of full-length stories um, and not just for short form so that's what's what we're doing very sort of uh, much at the moment great so Elena, I want to go back to something you said which was about how this relates perhaps to storyboard, sound recordist. I mean, in terms of the roles of the future, well, the roles that exist now and the roles that may change or not exist in the future, um, what do you think the trends are? Who should be most worried for their jobs? Who should be most excited? I mean, are there roles that are just going to disappear? I, I don't think it would be as clear-cut as that. I think things will evolve. So our producers are learning to do a lot more. Um, I think it's about uh, the whole workforce has to be upskilled. So this is a huge problem. Is there's not like a, a good educational series out there to teach you for our industry. Like these are the tools you should be using, and this is how you use them best. Because I think a lot of people just get onto ChatGPT and they're like, oh, it's not very good. I'm better off just writing the script myself, or I'm better off just writing those synopses myself. When really, once you've got a good prompt and you know how to work that prompt, it will do a great job for you, but it's just about learning and engaging and, and doing it. Or maybe, you know, eventually we'll get custom GPTs that, you know, we could have a good prompt and we can then sell that on the OpenAI store or something to, to other people in the industry to say, you can use this prompt for good synopses across all your episodes or whatever it is. But I think the teams and the jobs are gonna be changing for sure. And the young people and old people, everyone in the industry needs to learn how to use these tools. And I think there will be specific jobs that will change even more and we'll need to learn to use these tools even more. So, so do you think that the kind of the, the current model where there's like craft specialists for want of a phrase, right, will start to dilute a bit because it sounds like that once you become really good at using these systems, then, you know, take mid-journey or whatever, what does that mean for concept artists or things like that? I think you still need the creative direction, right? So exactly what um, we heard earlier today is it, it takes a really good photographer to know what is an amazing photograph. And so you still need those specialists to shape um, the work and make sure that the output is, is super high quality. But um, yeah, I, I would be worried if I were doing some of, the, some of those roles that have now been replaced by tools. You know, it, it means the output for a small company like us is greater because we can use these tools, but also it means we can maybe compete at a higher level than we could do before when you needed all these yeah. specialists that were unaffordable. So, so, so Alex, what, what do you think your production team is going to look like kind of five years from now if, as these sort of things, because it's, it's going to become quicker, faster, better. Um, what, is it going to be loads of producers and creative directors who are prompting things in machines or...? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting to think about it as a as a production team because that's not really how Little Dot is set up. We, but that's because we we kind of we have lots of people who are kind of quite experimental and have a, a remit to go beyond their day jobs to do things, and that's where a lot of our kind of experimentation and output has come from. But um, certainly, I think I absolutely agree that it's it, it, there's an opportunity as well as a threat because the opportunity is there's going to be it's going to um, level the playing field. There's going to be um, there's already. Uh, capabilities now that were previously only open to, to really well capitalized or well resourced companies and so that's an opportunity you know that 
realistically, it's the example I always refer to, but you know, kind of if you're setting out to, uh, as a, you know, a career as a rotoscoping artist, I'd suggest you do something else because rotoscoping, <laughs> it's done. And I don't think anyone is going to mourn the loss of having to go around a, you know, a cutout thing. So you know, that is clearly uh, a positive thing. But you know, we use a bank of tools um, which uh, is called uh, Re uh, Replicate. Um, and it, it's a kind of a bit like a, a kind of marketplace where you can go in. The people have created a lot of AI tools and you can go and utilize them. And that is you know, making things like um, colorization of, of, of black and white footage really, really simple and straightforward. Now, the example I always give there is that that's great. It means that you can colorize footage, but how do you know how to colorize it? What, what, what are the right colors? You still need the inputs, the research and work. Otherwise, you're gonna create a false image of something. You know, that uniform should have been blue and it's, you've, you've assumed it was green. So you still need the research and the craft that goes into it. What you don't necessarily need is what you needed five years ago, which was a lot of resources to kind of sort of individually paint in um, those frames. That, the, the, the software can help you with that. So I think, you know, like with anything, I, I'm absolutely an advocate for AI because I believe it is going to be transformative for our industry, but I do th I do treat it as tools. And you know, we've got some building work happening in our house at the moment. I've got carpenters in. They're doing the same fundamental job they did 2,000 years ago, but they're doing it with I mean, not that much advanced tech. But they're using a buzz saw and a nail gun, and they're really quick compared to I imagine what it was when you were having to hand saw everything. But you still need to know what you're doing. You still need to know that that needs to be load bearing, that that needs to look like that. There's still craft. There's still training. So I think it's you know I think it's really important that we hold on to that um, yeah. that, that concept. So continue on the theme, one of the most popular questions on Slido at the minute, um, and I think it's probably a good one for you guys, it says, AI for creative script writing, are you serious? Creative work comes from empathy, life experiences, and about complex human emotions. It is not a plastic approach. Um, what's your sense on that? Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, I mean, I, th I think we have a, a sort of uh, a line which is, AI will not steal your jobs, but people who know how to use it may. And, and there's a, a, and that you know that sort of plays to that slightly. And what we were talking about, there is a, um, there is a. It, in, in a sense, we're seeing a rerun of video, not killing the radio star, but changing the, the landscape. And if we think today, you know, this is a broadcast conference, um, the landscape for broadcast media is changing. Immeasurable, it's accelerating. You know, that's the point. It's not just changing; it's accelerating and change. And that means that audiences who previously, you know, would sit in front of the TV and watch something now do not. And so the, it's not just, I think, about the, 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 the creation process, but it's about the consumption process and broadcast industry is how that changes. And, you know, make no mistake, the broadcast industry is going to follow where the audiences are. That's how it works. So if we can get to the point where that workflow goes back and, and you know, uh, AI can be used to democratize the production process so more diverse voices, people who haven't necessarily gone to film school can create films in some ways. Um, that to me is a good thing. But I, I think, um, and again, your, 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 your point about photography is interesting. You know, I was a photographer and, you know, we'd always get, oh, it's not real art, is it? And I seem to, this whole thing of like, see, the plastic things seem to have dogged me throughout my life. I do believe photography is art. It's a mechanism, you know. Um, about the create, because it was mentioned earlier about it's a maths model and so it will never be creative. 
I worry that that's incorrect because mm. what creativity is, is basically smashing two things together that we hadn't thought of to be smashed together. And there's no reason why the comp this computer can't do that in the long run. So I, I do worry that at the moment, if you ask it to come up with some good TV shows, it will not. It's terrible. <laughs> like, it's really, really bad. But it will get there, unfortunately, whether it's six months or a year. I think it will be better than us. And it might even kill us. Like, I'm in that camp. But, you know, might as well get on the, on the ride while we're here and, and enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> <laughs> on that optimistic note, um, so, so how... Um, Okay, so, so, so we're on this room thinking we all work in the, the industry, different, different parts of the industry, whatever it may be, but, but, um, so, but, but how do you plan for this future? How do you kind of take advantage of the opportunities? How do you manage the risks? I mean, what, what, how do you navigate? I mean, uh, just to chip in on this, I've, having had a career in techno creative technology, I've never seen anything move as fast as the last two years. Ever. Two years. So remember, we're now at the anniversary of ChatGPT. One year. Before that, I'm talking two years, three years. It's never moved so fast. So it's really hard, I think, to look at the trends. However, at the end of this, again, like I said, I think you, we can look back and see sort of uh, uh, evolving. Um, we, we know roughly where the trends are heading because things are heading in the same direction. Acceleration, productivity, that sort of stuff. Um, the innovation side is interesting, and I think that's where creativity, the creative chaos is, to your point, smashing together stuff at the moment in ways we haven't seen before, which, which is exciting. It's, and, and again, just, you know, you used to talk about ethics. Normally, I'd, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I'd be in a panel like this, and people would say, well, how do you colorize this? How do you, what's good user experience? And I remember there was a key moment about six years ago when I was on a panel, and, and the first question when we were talking about uh, speaking to characters and these characters from TV coming alive, the first question was, are we just all lonely? And I was like, oh my God, actually we have now moved into a philosophical state around this, which we've never been in before. And that is a key turning point. As long as we think more about where this is heading, that's a good thing. It's if we don't think that the problems rise. The generative bit is really scary. So for example, we used a generative um, lead generator at one point. And so what I worried about is that final, so firstly, I worry about the bias because it's mostly men that have been, you know, setting the rules. So that's a problem. And it's not gonna change. It's just gonna be, unfortunately, there's not enough women who are studying machine learning to be able to change that. So the second bit is we use this AI lead generator and it was sending out mad emails all across the board to everyone and everywhere out there going and, and hallucinating. And then I got all these emails back being like, what are you, are you, what are you doing? Like, why is this bot sending us, do you know this bot sending us weird emails? I was getting calls, I was getting LinkedIn messages, emails, like you name it. And I spoke to the company, I said, guys, we need to stop this. Like, this is madness. Like everyone thinks I'm a loony. I thought this would be fun. Um, and then it said, the problem is the bot thinks it's doing a really good job because you're trying to generate leads and all these people are getting back to you. So this <laughs> is so gonna carry on doing it. Anyway, I shut it down. But yeah, yeah. like that could happen with, well, I think with, you know, if we tell it to create a great TV series, it would create something like 
um, squid game and then it, yeah. take it to the next level and then before you know it we're all killing each other I don't know yeah well I think I think that point is is it's so much of from the technology side and you see it in Silicon Valley is that they're, they're, they're driven by optimization right it's like you know sort of meta kind of grew beyond itself off the back of it just became incredible but then the impact became you know in some areas not fully positive and um, and if you look at where the money is in this sector and there's huge amounts of money pouring into it right now you, you know guy you were saying we need to think about this stuff really really carefully I is the money going to think about it in the way that you might think about it or are they just going to optimize and make profit trying not to swear <laughs> um, it's Americans right yeah uh, I mean it's a very simple answer and it's fairly obvious you know uh, it is it is to like um, Aline was saying just now uh, we, and, and I was saying we need to think about it and by we let's put this into the people in the room. The creative industries need to think about the creative industry's response to AI and have a plan. And that is uh, looking at bias, looking at uh, you know, the design of the algorithm, because it is designed. There are people coding it, and therefore it is designed. Um, and I don't think, I, I, th I think we need to work out how we do it. I mean, I, I get involved in Innovate UK. Shout out to the guys at Innovate UK. Great new thing, you know, uh, funding schemes to be able to build this. It's, you know that's an alternate that's an alternate pathway to um, to VC but yeah I think we know where that's heading Alex what's your view um, I can't remember which question was it on the sort of moral because we sort of it was a pretty doomsday sort of scenario <laughs> yeah the doomsday okay yes that's right we've gone to the doomsday scenario the worst case the, uh, bring it back the out yeah well I'm I'm maybe slightly more optimistic about the about things um, but maybe that's just because I sit slightly adjacent to the regular television production sector, so um, I don't have quite such a, a kind of sort of I think concern about about the disruption to the core of our business model, although it's definitely disrupting a part part of it a little bit. Um, I think that you know the the thing I would say is that um, the t the AI tools are not uh, are not infallible. A uh, good example is that um, one of my team. Uh, he was tasked with putting together a, a, a basically list of a this day in history list, um, so we could post something through one of our um, social accounts. And um, it was midway through the year, and he was like, "This would have been really hard. Like, I would have had to have done a lot of work." But ChatGPT has sorted me right out, um, and it presented this entire list of, of all these things. And I was like, "That's impressive." I have to say, you shouldn't have told me that because I would have let you probably go off and spend weeks doing this. But you know, kind of well done. And then it was, I think it was like the third or fourth post of day of posting when we got the first sort of set of, of, of incoming comments saying um, uh, this thing that you said happened on that day definitely didn't happen on that day. You know, like, really? And it was, I think we worked out 30% bullshit. It was like, you know, they just made stuff up. Um, and we even asked the chat GPT, why, why, why did you get this wrong? Why did this wrong? And it came up with a perfectly plausible answer, but it was kind of quite creepy as well. It was kind of, we sort of told you what you thought you wanted to hear, um, you know, 
Um, and the thing is, we've now got a massive, great big encyclopedia on one of our desks, which is you can literally go through and work out. It has every day, big, big world events. We just pick a different one each day um, and do it. It's amazing. Um, uh, so, you know, the, the point is that that was a really good lesson for us in terms of not being reliant on the technology um, as a shortcut. Now, that doesn't mean that you, you know, become a Luddite and, 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 and ignore it, but you do have to have guardrails in place. You do have to have uh, proper human beings that know their stuff, that can interpret the data of, of any description. Um, and, you know, kind of, but the things, the capabilities are amazing. We've been using it, I mentioned the sort of, the traditional part of Little Dot's business network, business model is, is launching channels, genre channels. We have been asking a model of uh, GPT-4, which is looking just at our own data. So it's where we, you can, it's the new open AI model, which allows you just to apply it to your own data set, not the, the wider web. And we asked it to look at all of the uh, channels that we have, all of the content that we've got, and basically bring together some themes to see whether there was any kind of talking of smashing things together, are there any kind of sort of genres that we could sort of smash together where there's some adjacent interest? And it came up with loads of really, really good stuff, really good leads. But one of the ones that came up is that you should launch a royal at channel and a, um, a, and a military channel. And we're like, that's weird. Like, royal and military, that's a bit niche. Um, why is it coming up with that? And we went back through the data, and it's because we have loads of content about the royals, massive royal channel. We also have a lot of content about the Royal Air Force um, in our military channel and it couldn't work out the difference between when it was being mentioned in the context of the Royal Air Force or the Royal Navy and you know the king, the queen, whatever else. So it said there's loads of interest in these two things, you should do a channel which combines those two things together. Now we looked at that thought that doesn't make any sense and you know we rolled on and we we're like that was good but we've got a whole we've got dozens of ideas for channels that we wouldn't probably have thought of ourselves so ultimately a really good exercise but one that required us to like check it over first and, and, and apply some common sense but don't you think the the fact checking of the days mm. like that could very easily be fixed Absolutely. So, but so the, the interpretation bit is harder. Yeah, it's, it, exactly. So, so you know, what should have happened is that report should have been generated, and then someone should have then gone and cross-checked all of those dates or, or things against other sources, which is what yeah. you would do in any other context. But surely, in a few months, there'll be a fact checker that you could throw it into. Indeed. But then, do you trust the fact checker? As in, you know, that's the thing. It's like, you know, who's is it? Or is, is is it? You know, is AI marking its own What's homework? What's truth anyway? No. Yeah, I know. And then, you know, and then who cares about whether something actually happened on and a it's day? Tra it's just... trained on the internet. So yeah. <laughs> hey, what can possibly? No, absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the other interesting thing about that is that it's it's very factual, right? And we were we were doing um, some writers' rooms with uh, Hollywood studios and some writers earlier on the year, and. Just throwing this idea around. And the thing we started talking about that it can't do yet is subtext. So it's good at sort of writing a script, which is very, you know, walks into room, moves around, does that. But walks into room doesn't do something. It's, it can't, it's not strong on. And that's where the humanity really kicks in. And I sometimes use the example, if you had a scene you're writing, for example, and you throw that scene into ChatGPT at the moment, say, make it more tense. You might well get an answer, well, like one of the characters saying, I'm feeling really tense. <laughs> you know, it, now, we know that doesn't work. ChatGPT doesn't know that doesn't work. They think, you know, to this point, it's like, yay, I've achieved my, my goal. So that idea of subtext and of not doing something that is so intrinsic to the human condition 
um, and which is why charisma, you know, is a is a writer's tool and not an automatic throw it and 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 and, uh, and create stuff because you need that tension, that ability to create tension and pace that is uh, that is 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 great craft, simply. Great. Um, I'm going to take a couple of questions from the Slido. So. There's um, touching on the themes around copyright and um, intellectual property. So this one actually for you, Alex, which is how do you secure how do you secure rights to use mid-journey material exclusively for the content you produce? So we don't have the right to use it exclusively. Um, so there's no. Um, so we have a, an enterprise level license. For those of you who aren't familiar with mid-journey, it's. Um, uh, it's a, it's a bit of a pain, to be honest, to actually use it. You have to use it via a Discord server. Um, even setting up kind of uh, multiple accounts um, is a nightmare. It will only let you associate one card with one account. And so we've had this whole kind of nightmare of stuff. It's not particularly user-friendly. Um, and the kind of output, whilst we're comfortable that what we're outputting, it, we are able to use, we do not have that same comfort that someone else can't use the same output or that we ha we own the rights to it in perpetuity, um, which is why we don't use it for any of our client-focused uh, work, um, because not that we don't think that we should necessarily, but it's just that understandably we're... Uh, our clients are, you know, want to maybe if we're using their material, if we're ingesting a whole load of um, their IP into it, they want to know that that's not going to then be incorporated into someone else's model, or indeed suddenly become sort of fair game for everyone, whether legally or, or not. So at the moment, you know, kind of we're we're fine because we're creating the content. It's it's all in house. Um, if someone, if ultimately we don't own it or we we don't have an exclusivity to it, then we we don't lose anything from it because we've created something new and you know we can still exploit it on on our platforms in the way that we want to um but yeah i mean it's just one of the really legitimate questions about kind of the whole thing yeah. um uh, and, and there's no sort of definite answer to that yet we've um we've changed to gpt dali on gpt yeah. because the mid-journey discord thing was just it's such just a, the such worst. a nightmare yeah. um and we would only use i think at this point it for pitch decks and, and idea concepts and yeah. not put and, it into a final And are you getting much in the way of kind of really firm guidance from clients around what they want or expect or are they trying to work it out too? Well, I mean, usually you're delivering all rights worldwide in perpetuity. So, I mean, you can't, you just... And, and to add this, and this is why a lot of these panels should always have a lawyer on them because this question comes up a lot. <laughs> really? and So please fact check what I'm about to say. But we've tracked this for a long while and I think that actually there is no copyright in generative AI content. So if you're creating an image on mid-journey, you can't, co it's, it's mm. not copyright because it's created by a machine, similarly to any text. So that's a big deal to think about. Flip side of that coin is, how the hell do they get the data to train the model in the first place? Mm. That's a whole other thing. Follow me on LinkedIn if you want and you see my views on it, going back to 2018 on writers' <laughs> cases and all sorts. But it's a, um, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. Yeah, because if you um, told it, please rewrite this scene or write a scene for this as Aaron Sorkin, it's really good at sort of taking someone's writing style. I, I usually use Piers Morgan because I think it's quite funny what it spits out. But, um, <laughs> like, it would do quite a good job at imitating someone's writing style, which is, you know, obviously it's learnt off that database. Hmm. It is a copyright. But, but, it's not, if, yes. but if you're a human being and you decide to 
write in the style of Piers Morgan or think, aren't you doing the same thing? I mean, like, as in, you, you, this, is the, this is the challenge. It's, and like I say, I don't think these are actually necessarily new problems. They're just being, to the point about speed, it's because it's all happening so fast and it's so much more accessible. I think that it's sort of bringing a whole load of stuff that's always been there, you know, kind of, you know, uh, around sort of, uh, yeah, copyright and people sort of, you know, sort of, uh, you know, ripping off other people's content or kind of sort of iterating on it, you know, formats in television famously, you know, there's no new ideas. Everyone's always sort of building on stuff that, that came before. Um, so, yeah, it's... It's a very dangerous idea, though, the one you just sort of skirted around slightly, and it's one I get a lot, which is, oh, well, you know, if I come up, if I read all of Harry Potter and then I write something and it's like Harry Potter, that's okay. So why isn't it the same that I can ingest all of Harry Potter into a machine and then get it to do something mm. else? The difference is you're ingesting it into a machine. It's very, very different, and it's, a, it's an argument that I hear a lot, and it irritates me, because it's, it's not actually fair. You've, the, the next step down is to go into the data sets. So look, you understand the data sets that it's coming from, who owns that data set. We built our own, we created our own, because we recognized the, the ethics of it. And by the way, wrote a paper about unconscious bias in data sets back in 2018. We were, really, really careful about how we did this because it is important. And as you start to look at the importance of data sets now, to your idea about everyone having their own large language model or their own GPT, it will happen. And where that data set comes from is going to be really important. Okay. Um, one of the most popular questions currently on Slido is uh, the importance of storytelling is fundamentally about human connection. What will be the psychological impact of generative AI long term? Is it a new uncanny valley effect? What are your thoughts? I don't know the uncanny valley reference. Oh, okay, so, so, so it's um, oh, the best way to describe it. It's um, effectively that humans can look at something and know it's not quite right or quite mm. real. That's that's a very I, yeah. I think that will go eventually. Yeah, I mean, I think the, yeah. I mean, the example would be the um, yes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I assume most of us have seen the um, some of the the sort of de-aging that's happening in sort of Hollywood films in particular, and sort of high, uh, so like you know the new Indiana Jones film and stuff. And uh, you know it's used in the context of that. It's like always oh, a bit uncanny valley. Sort of you know you can tell his face; it's not quite there. I, I personally watched it and I was like, that's pretty impressive. You know, kind of that looks like Harrison Ford, like you know in his you know mid forties rather than his mid eighties. So you know I think you're right. Actually, I think we were actually at the highest end. You're already there. But I think the bigger point that you raise is about um, when it's like hu when when you're trying to sort of imitate like humans, and I think this is why we've only really sort of focused our efforts on you know what is effectively a form of animation um, because it kind of and, and, and historical animation where it's like you know not figures of the recent past because that is a different kind of moral and, and a conundrum. Um, it's quite easy to sort of, you know, take the piss out of Henry VIII. He's been dead for 500 years and kind of, you know, sort of kind of deserves it. He's a bit of a dick. Um, and, but, you know, would you do the same about a historical figure from the 1960s or 1970s who, you know, kind of, we wouldn't, uh, not yet. And I think that it's, um, it's less the sort of, uh, the less the issue about whether it looks too real, for me, it's like that the technology is going to catch up. It's like, is it, the, is it appropriate to be utilizing the technology to tell a story with someone who is either potentially still alive or um, potentially not long sort of like dead? And where plausibly someone might say, 
I thought that was real, that, that footage was real or that, that um, interpretation of them was real um, because there is footage of them that exists. So why would I not think that? And I think there's some really interesting stuff being done with sort of AI labeling and stuff. A lot of the platforms are rolling that out. I think now, as of this week, certainly on YouTube, I think TikTok as well, um, if you are using photorealistic uh, generative, uh, sort of basically anything that sort of looks photorealistic with a generative AI, you have to label it and it has to have a label that's physically on the actual um, video, which I think is a really positive step because otherwise you're getting all into the realms of sort of deep fake news and, and all the rest of it. I don't think we can tell the difference already. You know, that the yeah. photograph that won the award, like, you know, we can't. It's There's a difference though. Uh, I agree with you on but, that. On oh, that. I do, when I get CVs and personal statements, you can tell. You can so, tell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and that was where I was heading, which is that what you, that's a single image. CV starts to get into prose. Long story, whole other, whole other thing. And I, going back to your question about the psychological impact, storytelling is, storytelling is how we communicate with each other as humans. You know, how are you today? I'm fine. Never guess what happened on that. That's a story, right? So we, we're using it at that basis. I don't want, I, I don't want, and at Charisma, we don't want to replace that in that sort of stampy way. It's about finding why you might want to use it as a particular paintbrush in a particular story at a particular moment in time. So, uh, you know, for example, it might be it's it's very good at improvisation at around a particular point. If you're if you're in a if you're in a tense story that's moving forward, you don't want to stop and talk about your favourite fruit. But you might want to do that if you were shoot if you were in a greengrocer and you wanted to get to know the person a bit better. So there are moments where you can use this in a very tactical way to improve the story and how it works and how it scales out. But ultimately, because we use storytelling. I think we can, I think there is, there is still a sort of authenticity that, that comes out from that subtext. It's, I, I'm, a never say, I'm with you on the never say never, but um, it's not our view right now. You know, granted, stories have quite common structures in a lot of ways, but, but. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Um, so we've got less than five minutes left. Um, I just wanted to kind of bring it back to maybe just some sort of practical things that people in the audience might want to do or think about. So say you're relatively new to this space or you tried a little bit of chat GPT. Um, if you've got your boss saying, what's our generative AI strategy or what are you doing? How do we, you know, what are the risks? If somebody was gonna spend 48 hours, turn off their email, just a couple of working days, trying this stuff, playing around, learning, where would you recommend they go? What, what should they do? Charisma.ai. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John, but it's sort of, if I didn't say that, my yeah, staff yeah, members yeah. would Apart would from. Uh, look, I, uh, yeah, I mean, seriously, <laughs> that's, that's sort of where we'd look because I think that's, that's where, where we're at. But um, I don't know. Probably I would try go breaking to it as well. Article six. Um, yeah, well, YouTube you should. Series, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. No, no. I mean, I, I, I would go if you really want to get stuck in, like, do an AI course or something, and then like a ChatGPT course, and then I would start using it for silly things. Like, I um, mm. wrote a complaint letter to BA, you know, with it. So it's really good, by the way. But it, just, just to get more familiar with it. I would say, actually, a lot of the tools that we've already mentioned, I think, are the, are the, the entry-level ones. They're really powerful, but I think the reason they're mentioned is, is because they've, um, they've, they've got far enough along 
to um, to mean that they're user friendly and and they, they're really capable. So we've mentioned obviously ChatGPT, but also Midjourney, Dali, which is um, definitely one. A lot of these are also being in, uh, incorporated into other things. So if you've got the Adobe suite, um, you've got access to a whole load of AI tools you probably don't even know about. So Firefly is a really good image generator and comes with none of the. It's all trained on the Adobe um, uh, Adobe's sort of proprietary. Uh, catalog or what wants for a better word um, so that's really good um, I think uh, runway.ml is a really good tool for for creating um, sort of moving images but there's loads more and I, th I think the, the point is about being experimental that's the key thing is it is being curious and experimental and just having fun with it that's where we've got to where we are is my team were experimenting and having fun with it and then they started like getting good at it and then they started having ideas and being like we could do a we could do a series on this and and it all just sort of rolls from there um and I, I think that's the key the key and, thing and also not to forget that like for example chat gpt is really good at text and, and with dali it's good at images but for example if you want to create a pitch deck go to canva because it's got yeah. you know gpt integrate it's got everything integrated so you, yeah. that's where you do it um, just to know where to go for each different thing. Don't try and make a pitch deck on GPT. And on related, actually, one of the questions was, can all the data you ingest on your prompts end up on other people's output? Uh, oh, technically, OpenAI, yes. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I think... It does. It, it does, yeah, definitely. And I, I worry about some of the stuff that I might have put into it in the early days that might be... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Are you always nice to it? Do you always oh, say, well done, you've done a good job Absolutely. Today. Always be polite to the AI. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Please and thank you. It, yeah. But then when you see, like, you know, uh, OpenAI doing a deal with the American Department of Defense on that principle, you go, oh, no, that's not going to go well. <laughs> uh, but it, it's, it, it, it does. It does uh, train it. And it's the old line, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Good. Although you are paying for, in some cases for it, so I guess that's. Oh, the, but they're, they're, exactly, they're they're getting it from, from and I'm both a sides as well. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, so look, we're we're, we're pretty much um, out of time. Um, thank you all. There's one. There's one last. It's not really a question. Um, it's from anonymous. Uh, it could have come from someone called Siri or Alexa, I guess. But um, uh, it says there's no fate but what we make for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So maybe that is a, a thought to, to end on, but thank you to, to all of you. Um, and um, so what I want to do is just introduce the next session, uh, which is with um, Cyrus Maywell Meller, uh, who is going to talk about, well, is going to make an introduction to AI in media. But thank you to all of you for a really great presentation. Many thanks for listening to today's episode of the Broadcast Tech Talks podcast. Please like and subscribe and we'll see you on the next one.